0: Tonight, the sermon is entitled God Chooses, and we are going to read 1 Samuel 16, 9 through 23. Next, Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, I'm sorry, I started on verse 9, I think. We're on verse 10. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, These the Lord has not chosen. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all the children? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, and behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Saul's servants then said to him, Behold, Now an evil spirit from God is terrorizing him, terrorizing you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you. Let them seek a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall come about when the evil spirit from God is on you, that he shall play the harp with his hand and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the young men said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, one prudent in speech, and a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me to your son David, send me your son David who is with the flock. Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and a jug of wine and a young goat and sent them to Saul by David his son. Then David came to Saul and attended him, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David now stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. So it came about, whenever this evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp. And play it with his hand, and Saul would be refreshed and be well, and the evil spirit would depart from him. The word of the Lord. God chooses. That's the theme of the chapter. If you go and you look at this chapter 16, it's used nine different times. Ra'ah means to choose, it means to select. And when you go and you go out to eat, you get a menu, and you look on the menu, and you choose what you're going to eat, and you don't you choose certain things you choose not to eat. That doesn't mean those ones you didn't choose are not good to eat. It just means you're not choosing them. And so here we have an interesting thing in verse 1. It says, I, he tells, remember we talked about this last week, Samuel is totally distressed over this situation with with Saul. Samuel is discouraged, and he's depressed, and he's grieving. And God says to this discouraged prophet, I, verse 1, I have selected, I have chosen a king for myself among the sons of Jesse the Bethlehemite. And so this whole chapter is about God choosing. And the first point tonight we want to look at is God chooses. What does He choose? God chooses the most unlikely people to do His will. Maybe we need to say it again, huh? God chooses the most unlikely people to do His will. Last week we saw that many times what we choose is based on what we see. We see bone and we see biceps and we see strong muscles and we see beauty and that's how we choose. And God stops Samuel in his tracks when he sees Eliab. Remember the six foot two, two 225-pound linebacker who had a good... Uh, You know, taste an aftershave lotion. Remember that description that Dale Davis gave us last week? Well, he sees Eliab and he goes, This has got to be the one the Lord is going to want me to anoint. This one. And God shoots back at him in verse 7 and says, No, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so God is teaching Samuel and he's teaching us to get to the heart of the matter. And so Samuel is equipped with this wisdom of getting to the heart of the matter. And he looks past Eliab for the Lord had not chosen him. Well, the Lord didn't choose Eliab, and the Lord didn't choose the next six. He didn't choose any of the seven that were there. He didn't choose them because uh, there's there's one more guy who's better than all of them. But he's not the logical choice. But the logical next question for Samuel to ask Jesse is this, Are these all the children? (laughs) And so Jesse responds, he says, No, there remains yet this youngest son of mine, and behold, he's tending the sheep. Now, I'm sure that Jesse loved the runt. I'm sure he loved the one out in the field, but compared to Eliab, compared to Abinadab, compared to the other sons who were older, surely this guy is in a different class than these guys who are older and bigger and stronger. Surely. And so here's the next thing. Instead of anything else to be said, he just looks straight at um, Jesse and says, Send and bring him... For we will not sit down until he comes here. Well, basically, that's going to get a man's attention. Because, you see, he's saying this, we're not eating until this shepherd shows up. So bring the shepherd boy in from the field. You guys don't get to eat the sacrificial meal with those cuts. Last not that meat. Wasn't that meat good? Wow. You know, these guys cut this meat after the sacrifices. They're going to eat this meal together. Hey, listen, go get him. Bring him in. And so they bring the eighth son in. And he was different. He was ruddy. He is... that Some people think he was ruddy because he came rushing in really quickly. But he was ruddy. He was fair. He probably had red hair. I'm favored red hair. And... <laughs> So, you know, he was ruddy and he had a beautiful pair of eyes. And he was handsome. And the Lord tells Samuel, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. And doesn't God delight to raise up servants from among the strangest and most lowly of places? Who would have ever thought, (laughs) you see, David is found in a field with sheep, and yet he's anointed to be the next king of Israel. Joseph, where was he when he became the second person in charge of all of Egypt? Well, he's in a prison. Martin Luther was raised in the home of a poor miner who became, he became the great reformer and a champion of justification by faith alone. God loves to confound our human logic and our human wisdom. In salvation, we read about God's choice. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27, Brothers, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And the same thing occurs when it happens is in regards to God's servants. He chooses people. And I think sometimes ministers and sometimes elders and sometimes parents need to be really careful how they look at those underneath them because sometimes what we do is we look at that person and we go that person has too many things to overcome that person'll never amount to anything you're looking at your kids he's he's not anything like Eliab right and so we look at our kids but it just may be the thing that the that that child has to overcome, that, that God gives them the ability and the strength to, to work at it. We've talked about that many times in, among our men. We, we talk about the fact that sometimes it's the guy that works against all the things that he has to overcome who becomes the person that God uses because he has to go through so many trials and he learns to persevere. You and I can never know what God might do, how God might confound all our logic. And how should you and I be careful to prepare ourselves for the service of the Lord? I don't know where you are right now. I don't know if you're invisible where you are. Sometimes don't have me. I'm just on the shelf. (laughs) I'm just invisible. I'm just in a a room and and I'm, I'm, I'm doing classes and nobody sees anything I'm doing. Oh, yeah, somebody does. God sees you. David was out in the field and it was the place. It was the place of education for David. The place. It was the place where he grew to be responsible. It was the place where he was denying himself and doing what dad asked him to do. It was the place where he learned to to feed and watch and protect and take care of wounded animals and, and go after strays. This was the place that the next ruler of God's people would come. And as you and I, as we prepare in our lowly places, where what place are you in? I don't know. Is it at home? School? At your job? You and I, we need to give ourselves to godly character. We need to devote ourselves to being mature men and women. We prepare ourselves by reading the Scriptures. We prepare ourselves by being in worship. We prepare ourselves by meditating and thinking over these things. And we prepare ourselves by understanding this. This is very important. Every single thing you do is important. Oh, this doesn't matter. Yeah, it does. Every single thing you do is important. When you're on your vacation on that trip, every single thing we do is important. Young people, learning is important. Taking the trash out is important. Not talking back to your parents, that's important. All these things are important. David is challenged in the sheep field. He learns to fight in the sheep field. He learns to throw smooth stones in a sling in the sheep field. He learns all of these things. Now, we all know, I'm, I'm going to guess he's probably 17 years old, 16, 17 years old. It's going to take him about 13 years before he gets to be the king. But he's about to be anointed, and he's going to grow all along the way. What are we doing to get ready? The first point is this, God chooses the most unlikely people to do His will. Second, God chooses to give His Spirit to His people to do His will. Verse 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. The Spirit of God, you can be translated, it rushed down on him. It came mightily upon David. And there's no doubt that David had been born of the Spirit, but now God is giving him the Spirit and equipping him for the job he will do in the future. He's out there under the stars, and surely he had heart dealings with God. But now God is equipping him and readying him for the work that he will do. And many, many kingdom exploits are before him. If, if you think, David, if you think killing a lion and a bear are big things, Think Bigger things are are yet to come. You're going to be playing your music for the king. You're going to be going up against a ten-foot Goliath in the valley of Elah in just a chapter. You're going to fell him. You're going to be the commander of many men, kill many enemies, and the whole time God will be making you successful. Well, for your edification and for mine, be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18. Do not be drunk with wine. Do do not be drunk with that spirit. That's sometimes we call wine or alcohol a spirit. I'm not saying not to drink. Just don't be drunk. Right? But you and I, we're to be influenced by the spirit of God. Now, I'm going to try to watch. What time is it? I'm going to try to watch time, guys. I'm going to cut a few paragraphs here. (laughs) But you and I, we need the spirit. You know, one of the first things in in the uh, Westminster... Uh, confession of faith, what do you need the Spirit for? You need the Spirit to persuade you that the Bible is the Word of God. You need the Spirit to, to teach you and illuminate the Word of God to you. You need the Spirit to bring you into the kingdom and you need the Spirit to influence you to live wisely, to live warily in this world. Kingdom exploits are before you. I don't know if you're going to be called to play a harp in front of a king. And I don't know if you're going to be called to take smooth stones out and strike some Goliath dead with them. But you are going to have to go up against giants in this world. And for your service, you must be filled with God's Spirit in order not to compromise. In order to speak the truth in love, you have to be filled with the Spirit. Let's just talk to moms for a second. The most important job in the world is the the job of a mom. How are you going to do this work, mama? How are you going to do this work? You're going to do it on your own strength or are you going to do it in the power of, of the Spirit of God? Your children need you to encourage them, to challenge them, to discipline them, to put them in their place when they need to be put in their place. The task of being a mom. How are we going to be filled with the Spirit? Well, Genesis 32 kind of tells us something. We're told that Jacob wrestled with God and said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And you and I, we need to pray. I will not let you go until you fill me with your spirit. (laughs) Not only that, for your edification, not only should we be filled with the spirit, but do not grieve the spirit. David watched Saul grieve the Holy Spirit away. And he didn't want to do the same thing. In every one of our exploits, in every one of the things we do, we're probably going to fail sometimes. So what do you do? You're going to do like Saul over here and just keep disobeying, disobey, disobey, disobey. Are you going to say, "Yeah, I failed"? I need to confess that sin. I need to go on and Lord, fill me with the Spirit again. Don't grieve the Spirit by just staying over there in the dumps. One of the most important things that happens every Sunday morning when we talk about that assurance of pardon. You know what we did this morning? Remember what I said? After the assurance of pardon, it's time to do the next right thing. What is that? Start singing. Start obeying. Always remember that. Don't stay in the dumps. For your edification, listen, here's another one. We need to take note of this. When you're filled with the Spirit and you're not grieving the Spirit, trouble will follow. Wherever the Spirit is, trouble will follow. The Spirit comes down on David's life, and troubles are just going to start beginning in his life. If he thought bears and tigers were difficult, it's going to get real bad. And so David, he's walking in the spirit, he's playing the the harp in front of the king, and it's not long before he's in the crosshairs of the king's 30-06. Troubles follow. David will flee, he will hide in caves, he will pray in caves, he will live off the land, he will go into exile. The same thing's true of Jesus. One of the things we talk about every time we talk about with the kids... Him getting ready for, for making a profession of faith. We always go to Matthew chapter 3. We always talk about Jesus being baptized. The Spirit comes down and lights on Jesus in the form of a dove. God the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus, it's a glorious time. And then what happens? Jesus goes, goes through trials. There's the Spirit of God and what follows next? Well, He's tempted. And if this is true of David and if this is true of Jesus Christ, it's going to be true of you. No sooner than you take on Jesus' yoke, than you will encounter trials, troubles, struggles, conflicts. Uh, Spurgeon has a way of talking about the perseverance of the saints. He talks about being on a boat that's in a storm. You read this one? He's in a, in, in this uh, this boat, and the storm's really bad. And he's got the picture of a guy who's almost off over here, and he's being thrown almost off over here, and he doesn't know whether he's going to make it. There's conflicts. And just about the time, listen to this very carefully, just about the time that you're tempted to think that all these troubles, it is just a sign of your sinfulness. You need to remember that the Spirit in your life and the troubles that come along are not necessarily related to your sinfulness. Jesus went through trials and troubles and there was no sin. (laughs) Right? No sin. And David being in the sights of of Saul, he hadn't done anything. He had just done the right thing. And that brought him into all kinds of trouble with this man who heard, listen, here's this what got him. Saul has slain his thousands, (laughs) but David has slain his how many thousands? His tens of thousands. Oh, that got him. The green-eyed monster got hold of him, right? And so he became a jealous man. Now, if you and I, if we sin, okay, we just said it. Just deal with it and go on. But don't think that every time that troubles come your way, it's because of your sin. Trouble in Jesus' life was a sign of his sonship. And trouble in your life may not be because of a sin. It may be because you're adopted into the family of God and your cry, a Father. All the troubles are not signs of his displeasure with you, but all these troubles are signs of his love for you. And you and I, I had to work this in. I had to work this in. I read this to my kids the other day. So you know, in Mark chapter (laughs) 1, in Mark chapter 1, the demons speak to Jesus and say, Jesus, what business do we have to do with you? You're the Son of God. What business do we have to do with you? Well, he doesn't have any business to do with them, and they don't have any business to do with him. Well, he will eventually have business to do with them. But our business, see, our business is with Jesus, and our business with Jesus is to depend on him in a way we never have before. To trust in Him, depend on Him, and not depend on ourselves. That's not doing business as normal. Well, third, God chooses to place His people as a means of grace to a lost and dying world. People, He places us in a place where we can be a means of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let's go back to Saul for a second. We leave David and we're going to look at Saul. Remember Saul, he's rejected God. He's rejected God's word. He's rejected God himself. And we read in verse 14, it says, The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And then it says, second, an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now, in dealing with with this, you have to be careful. Saul, I don't believe, is losing his salvation. We don't believe you can lose your salvation. When you're saved, you're always saved. When you're saved. Um, I don't believe he was ever born of the Spirit. We do know that he was given the Spirit to equip him for his ministry as king. But after disobedience and more disobedience, God took his Spirit from him and God punishes him with an evil spirit. But what does that mean? Well, it certainly doesn't mean that God was in collusion with an evil spirit. And some people like to say, well, God takes his Spirit away from Saul and that leaves... Him open to satanic like a satanic spirit or demonic spirit. But we have to deal with the fact that it doesn't say that. It says an evil spirit from God was on him. We have to deal with that from the from God part, from the Lord part. I believe that God is punishing Saul. He has disobeyed, and now God will punish him with a spirit. A harmful spirit. A, a spirit, let's see, I think the best way to look at it is this is not as an accident of nature. This is not a mental, emotional, or hormonal condition which might be helped by a physician. This is a supernatural assault. It can be called an evil spirit. The spirit can be called a harmful spirit. It's not a demonic spirit. It's a spirit sent from the Lord. And it's being used by the Lord to punish this man for his sin. Because God loves him. God's trying to get the man's attention. <laughs> repent of your sin. Judgment's coming. If, this doesn't, if he doesn't repent of his sin, he'll be facing this punishment for the rest of his eternity. What happens next is the worst thing you can read. Saul's attendants are keenly aware that an evil spirit from the Lord is on him. And they realize that Saul is alienated from God because of his disobedience. They accurately define that. They accurately diagnose what is going on. A spirit from God is on him, punishing him. But they choose an improper prescription. What does Saul need? He needs heart surgery. He needs a new heart. He needs to confess his sins, and he needs to repent of his sins. But these men say Saul needs therapy, and the therapy that is prescribed is music. Let's go find a man that will play the harp, and when that harp is heard, it will soothe him. And so when Saul hears their prescription, he chooses music therapy, Ben, music therapy. We all love music, don't we? I'm going to ask you to think about this. We acknowledge here that not all psychological problems stem directly from spiritual roots or sins. But we have to understand if a person will not repent of their sins. If you will not obey God's word, this will be accompanied by all types of emotional, psychological, and physical distress it will be accompanied by all kinds of broken relationships in the home, at church, or at work. All these things happen. It's just like you, you, you don't deal with these things, and it's like a fly. This harmful spirit from the Lord is like a fly. When I was in California, I would be in front of the church. And guys, listen, California is full of cows and full of stuff on the ground and full of flies. And there would be a fly that would come during the service and this fly would dive bomb me every week. Annoying. And you're just like doing this all the time and finally he lets up. And that's what this is like. When you don't take care of your sins, this stuff just keeps coming back to you like a fly. If you and I if we're alienated from God, the proper prescription is not music. It's a new heart. It's seek God, it's confess sin, it's come, come to Christ and, and ask for the music of Jesus Christ. But if you don't come for this music of Jesus Christ, you will go for some kind of music. You will go for music that soothes your guilty conscience, music therapy. Why is it in the, in the ancient days that kings had jesters in their court? You ever thought about that? Why are these guys dressed up in a suit for, to be comedians, to make, to, to, to make light, so that the king doesn't have to think difficult thoughts? And today we have TV and theater and stadiums to get our minds off of things. We have hunting and boating and drugs, but therapy does not keep this fly, this torment from coming back to us. It just keeps coming back, and we have to go back for another Session of therapy. In Saul's case, it's interesting to me that God sent David to be the harpist. God sent a man who loved God to play the harp in his presence, and we are told that David loved Saul and that Saul loved David. Doesn't God place us in the lives of others who are terribly troubled and terribly harassed by their sins? Isn't it interesting that God will put you in the person's life so that you can play for them the greatest music ever heard? The music of David's greater son, Jesus. Remember, we studied this at Christmas. When Jesus was born, a birth announcement went out. Today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. His name is Christ the Lord. And then angels began to sing in chorus Glory to God in the highest. What were they singing? They were singing about a prince of peace who came to eliminate all the hostility between God and man. A a prince of peace who came to to take care of all this emotional and psychological and physical distress that comes our way because of our sin and sets us free from our sins so that we might be made right with God and eventually enter into His heaven. You and I are like David and we're brought into the very presence of people who are at odds with God in trouble with God, to share this music. God help us all to be his peacemakers. Well, we have the opportunity to engage, enjoy the Lord's Supper tonight. And the Prince of Peace, he is setting a table for us.